daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne resigns. In China's December foreign exchange reserves returns to a level above 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars, which could potentially help China cope with external uncertainties. Bangladeshi Prime Minister Shahe Hasna says her re-election is a victory of the people. And we are going to take a look at a pioneering private U.S. moon mission. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on our previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." Our top story: Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has pledged that China will support the development of human civilization, advocate cooperation, and contribute to inclusive economic globalization. Wang Yi made the remark at a Tuesday symposium on the international situation and China's diplomacy in 2023. The Chinese diplomat highlighted the achievements of China's diplomatic work in the past year. He also reiterated China's commitment to building a community with a shared future for mankind. So, for more on this, I earlier had a talk with Professor Chibo from China Foreign Affairs University. Thank you very much for joining us today, Professor Chu. Now, some highlights in China's 2023 diplomatic work, according to Wang Yi, include top leaders' diplomacy, hosting a Belt and Road Forum, hosting a China Central Asia Summit, helping achieve a historic membership expansion of the BRICS, mediating a rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, among others. What do you think these highlights tell us about China's 2023 diplomacy? So, first of all, I think that last year,、uh, Chinese major country、uh, diplomacy with Chinese characteristics、uh, are fruitful, and the Chinese international influence are increasing. When we look at about these highlights, and China already showed、uh, China. Uh, is a much more uh, responsible uh, international、uh, players in international relations. And for example, and China, China has、uh, mediated the rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And the last one, and I think just like you mentioned,、um, the new form of diplomacies,、uh, such as the top leader diplomacy and hosting、uh, diplomacy. Uh, both uh, has been played much more important role、uh, in Chinese、uh, diplomatic、uh, layout.、Hmm. So,、uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi also said that on international affairs, the past year has witnessed China、uh, choose cooperation rather than confrontation, unity over division, openness rather than restrictiveness, peace over war. Multilateralism over unilateralism, justice over、um, hegemonism. What is your thought in this regard? So, first of all, just like、uh, President Xi、uh, mentioned, the current world uh, is uh, confronting major changes unseen、uh, in a century, and now we are、uh, confronting a lot of changes. The changes of the world, the changes of the、uh, time, or the changes of history. And there is one key、uh, among this among these、uh, changes、mm. that is you just mentioned the cooperation versus confrontation or unity uni,、uh, unity uh, versus uh, division openness versus uh, uh,、yeah. confinement peace over war right so now I think、uh, the world、uh, now at this crossroad and all countries need to make uh, uh, their uh, their choice. So I think China、uh, is on the、uh, right course,、uh, and China、uh, definitely insists on cooperation,、uh, on unity, and uh, on uh, openness. So I think、uh, not just China, and I think the other countries also uh, need to uh, make a, a, a to give an answer to all these questions. Hmm. So, in response to some hostile foreign actions against China or Chinese entities, like,、uh, say, U.S.-initiated or U.S.-led 
technological restrictions or some、uh, provocative measures on the Taiwan question.、Uh, we also saw the Chinese government roll out some countermeasures in 2023. That's for sure. This is something that、uh, Minister. Wang Yi has acknowledged as well on Tuesday. He also said that the international consensus regarding the One China principle has actually gained a more solid foundation over the past year.、Uh, do you think China is justified to respond to those some of those、uh, hostilities in a way that the Chinese government thinks is responsible or reasonable? Yes, definitely. Um, so, for example, the Taiwan issue—that is the、uh, Chinese core national interest—and one China、uh, principle, definitely, that is the international、uh, consensus already reached. So, since the、uh, 1949, when People's Republic of China was established, and uh, the uh, first generation of Chinese leadership、uh, already made some principles, right? If China to establish. The formal diplomatic relations、uh, through negotiation, and one of the、uh, negotiation among the negotiation issue that is about Taiwan、uh, question, right? All other countries has to、uh, acknowledge one China、uh, principle, and especially、uh, in the recent year,、uh, and、uh, many countries challenge some countries challenge one China、uh, uh, principle, but uh, uh, from our、uh, Uh, from our the、uh, fighting、uh, spirit, and we firmly defines a、uh, one China principle. And for example, last year, and we made the United States to restate、uh, they will uh, uh, consist with one China、uh, commitment. And we also、uh, ask them to acknowledge they will welcome China a、uh, peaceful unification. So I think the last year,、uh, in terms of the One China principle, and definitely we defined our principle. And I think the One China principle、uh, over the past year already、uh, gained a more solid foundation around the world.、Mm. So、uh, that being said, Professor, in your understanding, does that mean that say the United States or Washington will? Stop taking some provocative measures against China on the Taiwan question.、Uh, during to the geopolitical con,、uh, confrontation between China and the United States, and we can、uh, look at the United States.、Uh, maybe so, the United States already make their、uh, commitments、uh, mm. to China. Already,、uh, we already have their words, but. We we also need to look at their、uh, behavior, look at their deeds, what they do, right?、Mm. So I think uh, 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 we already require the United States restate their commitment, and the United States also acknowledge a、uh, one China policy now changed, right? So I think this year、um, uh, we will still、uh, will look very closely, and、uh, we know a lot of things uh, will be uh, well、uh, is going to happen.、Mm. So a key mission of China's diplomatic work, according to Wang Yi, is to build a bridge between China's own development and the development of the rest of the world. Actually, President Xi Jinping once said during this, you know, Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation back in October 2023, that、uh, China can only do well when the rest of the world is doing well. So, under such a mentality or guiding principle,、uh, Professor, how do you think China's foreign policy will look like? So, in short, that China's、uh, foreign policy will be much more cooperative and will focus on、uh, development issue. And China like、uh, to help other developing countries to achieve development. So, since the opening up and reform policy、uh, since 1978. And China, the Chinese government already、uh, reached a conclusion that that is the Chinese development cannot separated achieved、uh, by separated from the world, as well as the world prosperity also depends on China's development. So I think when we look back about the last over forty years Chinese development and、uh, Chinese experience, 
that is a peaceful development is possible. And so, try and uh, the uh, two years ago, the twentieth uh, National Congress of CPC and the presidency uh, put forward uh, the Chinese path to modernization that、mm. provide alternative、uh, for other developing countries. So I think this is a very important of、uh, mentality for China, and also that is the Chinese confidence、uh, in international relations also built. Uh, in our success in economic development,、uh, as well as others, so I think in the、uh, in the future, and Chinese foreign policy will、uh, the development issue that will one of the key issue of Chinese、uh, foreign policy.、Mm. So the final question before we let you go,、uh, what is your expectation about China's、uh, diplomatic work in 2024? What do you think are some of the key areas? That China needs to work on, and I think the key、uh, concept or the key issue is uh, is uh, is still about、uh, to build、uh, a community with shared、uh, a community with shared future for mankind.、Mm. So that is the、um, the、uh, the objective, the overall objective of Chinese、uh, foreign policy. And the second, I would like to say,、uh, there allowed、uh, the Belt and Road Initiative、uh, well. Uh, accelerated, especially so-called high-quality、uh, BRI initiative, and the third, I think, the other、uh, three global initiatives: global、uh, development initiative, global security initiative, and global civilization uh, initiative uh, will be、uh, enriched more, and China, China、uh, will take more uh, uh, the uh, will will make more contributions. Uh, to the、uh, stability and the prosperity of the world, Professor Chu Bo from China Foreign Affairs University. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the World Today. In my opinion, the World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In the world today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please come to join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne has decided to leave office after less than two years in the job. Her resignation comes as President Emmanuel Macron is widely expected to reshuffle his top government team at the start of a year of major events in the country, including European parliamentary elections as well as the Summer Olympic Games in Paris. Bor is the second female prime minister in France. So joining us now on the line is Professor Wang Yiwei, Director of the European Studies Center with Renmin University of China. Thank you very much for joining us. So, Professor Wang, do you think for、uh, Emmanuel Macron, a, a government overhaul, including the resignation of Elizabeth Bourne, is necessary to revive his political impetus following a series of you know protests over those controversy controversial policies and Legislative defeats. Let's put it this way. Yes,、uh, it's very often that、uh, when the president of France felt the、uh, crisis, political crisis, like the demonstration, or felt the loss of the majority of seats in the parliament election, then they usually change the government and then remove、uh, the prime minister. So the prime minister usually to be the scapegoat of,、uh, of the failure governance of the. In, front,、uh, in French politics. Okay, then let's talk about this most recent moment of crisis for President Emmanuel Macron, namely this、uh, immigration legislation, which failed、uh, in in last month. I mean, December twenty twenty three. It seems Macron's government had, you know, attempted to satisfy both the left and the right、uh, on this particular issue. But somehow he ended up achieving neither, because both the left and the right were not very happy about his version of the legislation. 
So looking back, Professor, do you think Macron's government had adopted a wrong strategy when pushing forward its version of the bill? No,、uh, actually, firstly,、uh, today it's a very controversial, in,、uh, not just in France, in U.S., in、uh, U.K. and other Western countries. It's a very difficult、uh, to reach consensus to bridge the gaps of left and、uh, right. Actually, the political spectrum is not so clear. So called the red,、uh, the left, and the right, and the middle. The, there's a saying that the only uncertainty、uh, is uncertainty. So the only、uh, agree is、uh, disagree. So it's difficult for for them to、uh, make the reach the consensus, particularly for such kind of、uh, you know, long term of the controversial dispute issues like the pension reform, the migration reform. Mm. So, by the way, how do you think this、uh, migration reform or this particular immigration legislation issue has dealt a blow to Macron's government? Well, strategically, the President Macron、uh, actually doing the right thing, and because this is very neat to cut the budget of the government. Yeah, seems the economic growth not so strong, and the further crisis, the Ukraine crisis, and even now the Middle East crisis. Suffered a lot from the euro. Then, technically, of course, they pay the costs,、uh, like they remove、uh, the, the prime minister. The French Revolution starts of the、uh, liberty, equality, or fraternity. So people enjoy too much freedom.、Uh, then they want to pay more and then work less. So this is a huge challenge for、uh, the French compared to advantage. So we need to reform、uh, the pension system and the migration immigration、uh, policy. Mm. So I guess、uh, earlier in the in the second term for Emmanuel Macron, there was another setback, namely、uh, his own political party, you know, losing parliamentary majority.、Um, how do you think that setback has affected、um, his say policy implementation capability or、uh, credibility,、uh, etc., etc.? Well, indeed,、uh, the compare、uh, today's Macron maybe in the history of the De Gaulle. There are two major differences between the two presidents. The, during the De Gaulle's period,、uh, his party, his、uh, traditional party, they,、uh, they can have the majority in the, in the parliament.、Uh, but the Macron is not the case. When he joined the election, when the,、uh, actually during Hollande's、uh, mm-hmm. period, he was the,、uh, the minister of economy, and he. He restarted a new、uh, party. It's not traditional party, so his party is quite weak. It's very new.、Uh, it's not like a Degola. Secondly, the, the industrial、uh, is not so independent from the United States. So that's reason so-called strategic autonomy.、Uh, even Macron also repeat Degola to do, but it's difficult to、uh, uh, implement. Hmm. So. Uh, based on what you have elaborated, Professor Wan, are you suggesting, say, if Macron had had not chosen to set up a political party of his own, and then、uh, somehow ended up being、uh, ended up winning the election through other channels, he he would have、um, performed better in French politics today. Well.、Um... If he need a strong uh, traditional uh, party uh,、yeah. uh, foundation, but actually he's not. Today we、uh, not so many traditional parties can still have the majority seats in the parliament. Whatever in France, even in Germany, and in other European countries as well. So that's a big problem.、Uh, populist uh, rising, uh, the, the political is a. Population actually separate the, from the different parties, different views, different different policies.、Mm. So,、uh, why are these European parliamentary elections said to be held in June this year, seen as a major event for the government of Emmanuel Macron over the course of 2024? The first reason, of course, is、uh, the the French they can keep their influence in the global. Uh, in in Europe, particularly, it's because of the Yomanet, you know, the integration in, in,、uh, mm-hmm. initiative. So、uh, the French power through、uh, Brussels, through European integration, if the European Parliament election makes、uh, so kind of the anti、uh, 
uh, integration uh, poly, uh, po- political parties, yeah. they get a majority or uh, influence in the European Parliament, then they cannot have the traditional uh, Brussels uh, effect. So that's the danger for France to take the leading role through Brussels. Secondly, um, the elections uh, now in not in the European Parliament, in many European countries as well, if uh, the non-traditional mainstream part, uh, parties they win the majority, even win the more seats in the parliament, mm. they can have make big trouble for the European Parliament to pass the deal, pass the legislation deal. So it's very difficult for the new uh, European leaders, uh, European Council, European uh, Commission leaders, can uh, can take a leading role uh, in pushing forward integration. Mm. So, in other words, uh, that has a lot to do with uh, the the global ambition of Paris or the regional ambition of Paris with regard to the European affairs. I guess that's the message you are trying you are trying to say, Professor. Um, now, uh, going back to our discussion surrounding the, the this latest resignation of Elizabeth Bourne, um, some people say. Uh, the the post of prime minister is the most exposed and the most difficult job in French politics. What is your take on this? Yes, uh, actually, the French prime minister is not a real prime minister. You know, traditional prime minister is uh, you know during the monarchy, uh, the are ministers they in the cabinet they can organize the government. Mm. But the French, the president is so powerful. It's not a monarchy, has a real power. So the prime minister usually to be the uh, scapegoat, as I saying, so difficult for them to to have long time. Mm. So what do you think the challenges that Emmanuel Macron has been facing in his second term? Let's put away his first term. What do you think the challenges he has faced in his second term would overall tell us about French politics today? Well, even though uh, he passed the the bill like uh, the pension reform to make the Pension reform, even uh, uh, immigration uh, policies, but you know the still ever effect. Side event still there, and the French economy still suffered a lot uh, from the deglobalization or deintegration uh, movement, uh, so-called the strategy autonomy of the European Union uh, under his leadership. is also uh, fails the very danger, like the American president election. If Trump will come back. Oh, and also the ongoing uh, Ukraine crisis. So indeed, the, the comparative advantage uh, for French economy, Eurozone economy, is a major one. Mm. And actually, uh, it's not only the French economy that is not doing so well nowadays. If we take a look at uh, the case of Germany, for example, the latest the latest headline over there in Germany is that there is a farmers' protest. Blocking, you know, traffic and daily commuters on the streets of Berlin and many other German cities, and fundamentally, it's a economic challenge. It's it is、uh, this kind of protests and unrest we are seeing stems from,、um, you know, the economic challenges. And actually, when when we talk about this. Uh, French Prime Minister, outgoing French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne. She has been nicknamed as "quote unquote" Madame Forty Nine Point Three in the French media, which refers to this constitutional tool that Bourne has been using on more than twenty occasions during her time in office in order to pass the bills. Uh, on behalf of her boss in the lower house, without a vote. In a bigger picture, this nickname is certainly a reflection of the, you know, division or divisiveness of the French politics. But thank you very much. That was Professor Wang Yiwei, director of the European Studies Center with Renmin University of China. You are listening to World Today. For more, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin, Beijing. China's foreign exchange reserves reached a two-year high of 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars in December, marking a second consecutive month of increase. In the meantime, China remains a vibrant market for foreign capital. 
According to Ministry of Commerce officials, the actual utilization of foreign capital in China continues to be at a historic high, exceeding one trillion yuan in the first eleven months of 2023. Forty-eight thousand foreign-invested、uh, enterprises were registered in China in the January to November period in 2023, an increase of 36 percent year-on-year. Investment in the high-tech industry accounted for somewhere around 37 percent of total foreign investments in the same period. So, for more on this. My colleague Zhao Yang earlier spoke with Chen Jiahe, chief investment officer with Novum Archi Technologies. So Jiahe, China's foreign exchange reserves reached a two-year high of more than 3.2 trillion U.S. dollars in December. So, what do you think are some of the main reasons, and how do you explain it? Well, if if you look at the foreign reserves that China is holding, it's actually remained at a pre. Pretty high level, under stable level over the past many years. This、uh, actually fits into the benefits of the economy. Basically,、uh, is that well, regarding the foreign reserve, is that you don't want to be having no reserve at all because that means in some situation you might have a international payment difficulty. But on the other hand, you don't want too much foreign reserve because that that just means a lot of money isn't really spent. You know, finally, money is just printed. What you do with money is that you buy back things, you buy back technology, you encourage、uh, business cooperation. So currently, if you look at the foreign reserve of China, it's actually pretty stable, and it's pretty large amount to fit the stable growth of the economy. So that's pretty fine. And if you look at the Detailed number of the past few months, we have seen that you know the foreign reserve has been rising slightly, and that's basically because China is exporting more things and importing things. So that's you know that that's the reason behind this short-term movement. But if you look at the long term, then this large size、uh, without too much fluctuation is the long-term trend for the foreign reserve of China right now.、Mm. And you mentioned imports and exports. So do you think China's foreign trade will be resilient this year, despite the external global environment? Among those uncertainties, yeah. If if you look at the global trade, well, the overall global trade over the past few years, it's it's not very good. I mean, people thought the pandemic was the main reason, and there would be a recovery. And yeah, I mean, there there has been a recovery last year, but not as fast as we have been expecting. And partly because of the geopolitical tension has been rising all over the places. I mean, in Middle East, there is there is a fight,、uh, and in Europe, there has been a war lasting for like two years. So all these things has stopped a lot of global trade. But among these, I mean, the China's share of the global trade is still stable and sometimes expanding. And that's basically because if if you try to、uh, do the trade with an economy and you try to, for example, set up a factory in an economy, import and export things, you know, import material, export your product, all these kind of things, it's it's really difficult for you to find a replacement of China.、Uh, I mean, China's. Uh, a large economy with 1.4 billion population and fully equipped with all the infrastructures you need, all the factories you need, all the upstream and downstream factories you need. You can find just anything you need here. And if you go to countries like Vietnam, I mean Vietnam is growing, it's expanding, it's working pretty effectively. But the problem with Vietnam is that its population is just too small. It's a small economy. I mean it's about 90 million,、uh, 90 million population. That's about it, about one fifteenth of China.、So That's a small size. So if you go to build a factory in Vietnam, you probably find lower wages because Vietnam is having a per capita GDP about one fourth of China.、Um, but the thing is that you probably be hard to find, you know, imports of many other things from factories around you. It just doesn't have such a large、um, industrial chain. And if you go to India, the infrastructure is much less developed compared with China. So it's difficult for you to find, a,、uh, you know, an easy replacement of China in this. Word. I mean, we probably say we are large world, but if you if you think about the size of China, then it's a small world. It, it's it's really hard for you to find a replacement, and that's why we see China's import and export has been pretty stable in this global、uh, trading environment.、Mm, and earlier you mentioned the global geopolitical tensions and conflicts. Actually, the Red Sea crisis has entered its third month. So, how will it disrupt the global supply chain, or what's its impact on global trade? Yeah, I've seen a lot of things about that Red Sea、uh, crisis right now, and a lot of companies actually. 
starting to choose a way to you know cross the whole Africa that increases their trip by I think it's about 15 days or something like that and it increase the cost as well but uh, I, I don't think it will have a lot to do with uh, you know affecting the global trading system basically because this is just a cost thing it's it's not that they're blocking um, the Red Sea and you, you don't have a way to import and export things from Europe to China it's just that uh, you have to incur a little bit more the the transportation cost and the cost is is actually fine because if you think about a global uh, cooperation the sea cost is not something that will influence everything you might be able to make less money because you incur a higher cost because you have to ask all your ships to go across uh, the whole africa continent but that still means you've got the profit you still do the trade we talk about trade, and meanwhile, China remains a vibrant market for foreign capital. So, Jiahe, what's your assessment of the 2023 foreign investments in China? Well, if you look at the 2023 foreign investment, it's been reviving from the, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic era, which lasted from uh, 2020 to 2022. So the, the capital are gradually coming back, but the speed is actually slow. So we are expecting to see more capital to come back in the future. Uh, the Chinese government has been doing a lot of things toward this. They set out a lot of papers, encouraged the foreign capital, uh, even listed um, the sectors that they want these capitals to, to invest, which is usually the more lucrative sector compared with the traditional industries, which is not making too much money right now. And also uh, removed a lot of restrictions uh, for investment in China. I mean, currently, if you look at China's equity market, you don't really have, uh, well, basically speaking, you don't have any restriction right now. Any capital in the world can just come in and find a stock in China uh, and invest as much as you like. And I've seen some companies in Asian market that is about 80% held by capital from France, uh, a capital that is basically producing uh, home appliances. You know, you see all these kind of things. Now, one thing that's actually uh, stopping the figure to go up uh, very dramatically is basically because if you look at the, especially the Hong Kong market, it has been a, in a bear market for like two or three years. So every time we, you have a bear market, you have an outflow of capital. But once these market turn into a bull market, you have a lot of inflow of capital. And that's probably coming in either this year or next year. Mm -hmm. And how has the structure of foreign investment in China evolved in recent years? What key changes have been observed in the composition and distribution of foreign investment across different sectors and regions in China? Well, you, you have seen a lot of involvement. I mean, uh, foreign capital, first of all, is actually uh, moving from the traditional sectors to uh, the sectors that is, you know, high tech, new energy, environment, medical service, new medicine, discovery, environmental protection, all these things. You have seen capital, you know, moving from these uh, all those traditional sectors to these new areas. So there are actually more business opportunities in these areas in China. So that's one move. A second move is that more uh, foreign capital are now trying the inland provinces rather than just staying with the coastal province. Uh, uh, provinces. Uh, basically speaking, China's, uh, you know, the overall GDP of China is currently growing, I mean, compared with a decade ago. So the development level of inland provinces are now reaching probably the development level of uh, coastal provinces back at about 10 years ago. So, so they're catching up. So when you come over to China, I mean, 10 years ago, my worry if I go to inland provinces, I don't have much business opportunities here. The local governments there are not professional enough. But now you go there, they are really different. I mean, go to see the night view of like Wuhan or Chongqing or Chengdu. They really developed the cities right now, it looks like. So all the, all the shining during the night. Uh, and you find a lot of opportunities there. So a lot of foreign capital are really going into these regions to seek uh, more opportunities. Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer with Novum Archie Technologies, talking to my colleague Zhao Yang. You are listening to World Today. Stay with us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. 
You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin, Beijing. Bangladeshi Prime Minister Shahey Hashna has secured a fifth term in her office, saying her re-election is a victory of the people. Her Hawami Her Awami League Party won 223 out of the 300 parliamentary seats in Sunday's election. Addressing a news conference on Monday, the 76-year-old leader suggested that she has been fighting throughout her life to ensure people's democratic rights. Hashna is the longest-serving incumbent female leader in the world. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Wang Jing, associate professor with Northwest University in Xi'an, China. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. So, Professor Wang Jing. Uh, first of all, what do you make of Hashna's re-election this time? Is it really, as she says, a victory of the people?、Uh, I think、uh, Sheikh Hashna's、uh, victory as a very conservative fourth term、uh, is very major political victory for herself, of course, and also the very、uh, suggested a very uh, uh, trans- successful trans- transition. Uh, in the political terms inside Bangladesh,、uh, of course there will be some kind of the criticism uh, uh, over how the election goes, over how the political structure should be,、uh, should be organized, and、uh, how this uh, political uh, games uh, should be uh, reorganized. But、uh, we have to know that in every country they have different、uh, social and political tradition, and they have、uh, different social and political. Circumstances and against that, the different circumstances、uh, led to、uh, these 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 very particularities led to the very special political system, and this system led to the different political leaders. And if the leader、uh, like Sheikh Hasna, she could、uh, serve the people in the Bangladesh well, and、uh, that is why I think she has the she has the credibilities. To be welcomed, to be congratulated by the international society,、uh, mm. it could be understood as a victory of the people. So that is why I think、uh, some regional country like India and also other countries like Russia、uh, all welcomed the victory of a very uh, consecutive, uh, consecutive uh, vi- uh, term uh, of the victory. Uh, for the Sheikh Hasna, so that is why I think we can say we can understand that it is the victory of the people.、Mm. So, like you mentioned, there is criticism. So, by the way, how would you look at those particular criticism against the Hasna over this election from some of those, you know, Western countries like the United States and the UK, the European Union, maybe as well. Uh, do you think these criticism is criticism for the sake of criticism, or、um, do you think there might be something more hostile from those Western governments towards Hashna? I, I think these criticize criticisms、uh, from the Western countries because we 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 have no idea、uh, what's really behind, what's the really motivation behind. But I think it's just because they have、uh, different. Standards for the judgments, because from the point of the Western, some Western states, that the election, for example, the turn, turnout of the election was not so high.、Um, from the very official、uh, first official statement from the Bangladesh government, that the turnout is nearly forty、uh, percent. But maybe from、uh, from their、uh, their investment, I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, their、uh, investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, some Western countries, their organizations, they believe the turnout maybe just uh, about twenty eight percent or maybe thirty percent, not that high. But、uh, and also from their、uh, understanding that、uh, the very fourth consecutive term、uh, means that、uh, the very long term. So they hope that uh, maybe uh, uh, this political structure should be constructed based on the ideas and the principles of the Western countries. So that is why I think that is why they criticize, they they, they project a lot of the criticisms. Uh, on the political systems of Bangladesh and also on Sheikh Hasna herself, but、uh, as we have to to say again, we、uh, repeat it、yeah. again that、uh, 
that we are talking about the political system in other countries, and different political systems suggested a very deeply rooted, different deeply rooted, uh, the circumstances and the particularities of other countries and other culture. So, if the country could maintain stable, if the country could uh, give uh, the, the opportunities to the economic development, I would say that it is a good political system, and I think it will benefit everybody inside the country.、Hmm. So nowadays, of course, Bangladesh, we understand, has become the world's second、uh, largest exporter of apparels like clothing and other kind of shoes, this kind of items,、uh, second only after China. So I guess certainly there is a lot of economic dynamism in this country. But on the other hand, what do you think are some of the pressing challenges facing Hashna in terms of domestic governance in the foreseeable future? I think there will be, of course, a lot of、uh, the challenges because we have to know that Bangladesh is the country. Uh, uh, it is the eighth most populous country in the world, and also it is maybe among the most deep, uh, most densely,、uh, densely, most、yeah. densely populated countries. With it has a population of nearly 170 million people, and so that is why、uh, it has the very uh, uh, big problem of the、uh, jobless rate. It has a very、uh, big problem of How to develop the, how to upgrade the, the living standards of its own people, and how to narrow the gap between the rich and the poor, and also how to uh, uh, deal with the the, the 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 pollution and other social problem. I think the social and economic problem should be understand understood as the most pressing challenges、uh, in the inside the Bangladesh because yes, they are the the the, the second. Uh, largest uh, apparel exporter, but、uh, but when we're talking about apparel, it also means that the the the, the profits are not very high. The、yeah. profit cannot benefit everybody inside the country. So that is why I think the, she has to do more to upgrade the the, the inside economic system and to bring more benefits to to to, to her own people. I think that would be the most pressing challenge for her. Yeah, this kind of agenda requires time and input, and I guess more importantly, policy continuity. So, in that sense, I guess、um, you know the re-election of Hashna、uh, is is a positive thing. So, if we take a look at if we take a look at the situation、uh, beyond the borders of Bangladesh, for example, do you think、um, Hashna has been a force for regional stability? Very, very briefly. I think we will. I think she 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 will be, and because the Bangladesh is an important country, it has so many people, and this geographical location is also very crucial. So the maintain maintaining the stability of the Bangladesh itself also would contribute a lot to the regional stability and also to the world peace. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Wang Jing, associate professor with Northwest University in Xi'an, China. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the Independent Taihur Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So, join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. Welcome back. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. A U.S. mission to place the first commercial craft on the moon appears to be in jeopardy after the spacecraft suffered a critical loss of fuel. Astrobotic Technology had hoped to become the first private company to touch down on the surface of the moon with its Peregrine lander. The space robotics company says it is currently evaluating feasible alternative mission profiles. This particular mission was launched on Monday from the U.S. state of Florida. So, joining us now in the studio is my colleague Zhao Ying. Hey, Zhao Ying. Thanks for having me. So, as you have、uh, keep following the launch of this Peregrine lander, can you tell us more about what exactly happened after its launch? 
Sure. So just after 2 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday, the United Launch Alliance's Vulcan Centaur rocket successfully lifted off from Florida's Can-、uh, Canaveral Spaceport Station,、uh, carrying the Peregrine lander. Um, and everything seemed to be going well until a few hours later, when Astrobotic Technology,、um, the company that built Peregrine, announced that the lander had experienced a, propu- a propulsion issue, and this issue prevented it from orienting itself towards the sun, which is crucial because it's supposed to use solar panel to collect sunlight and charge its battery. And then Astrobotic confirmed that this resulted in a critical loss of propellant. Uh, which means they've used up more fuel than anticipated, just trying to stabilize the situation.、Um, and the company is actively assessing alternative mission profiles at this time. The lander was planned to touch down on the moon on February 22nd, but as for now, the possibility of Peregrine successfully landing on the moon as originally planned is uncertain. So currently, it is still on its way to the moon, I guess. So this. A particular company called Astrobotic Technology developed this lander under a contract with NASA. Actually, so what are some of the key goals of this particular mission? Yes,、um, actually, NASA paid Astrobotic 108 million U.S. dollars to develop Peregrine and fly the space agency's science experiments to the lunar surface. The five NASA-sponsored experiments include two instruments to monitor the radiation environment, which is crucial for future crewed missions. Other instruments will analyze the makeup of the lunar soil,、uh, looking for water and hydroxyl molecules. And NASA will also study the moon's super-thin atmosphere. However, Peregrine isn't solely a NASA vehicle because nations like Mexico、uh, are also contributing additional science payloads to explore the moon. And a UK-based company has entrusted Peregrine with a robotic experiment, which could pave the way for future lunar exploration. By autonomous missions, and German shipping giant DHL has sent trinkets and mementos on Peregrine. But what is more controversial is the presence of human remains from two commercial space burial companies. And it's revealed that one of the companies offers to carry ashes to the moon for prices starting at more than ten thousand U.S. dollars. But I mean, whether these can be realized all depend on whether there'll be a successful landing. So to call it as a U.S. mission is probably a little bit inaccurate. It's a multinational mission, I guess. Yes. Now, like you mentioned, it has sparked some sort of、uh, controversy due to the existence of human remains on board. Some organizations, like this organization called、uh, Navajo Nation, namely the largest group of Native Americans in the United States, actually consider. Uh, the this practice of putting human remains on the moon to be an act of blasphemy. Let's put it this way. What is what is your thought on this ethical debate? Yes, as you said, the Navajo Nation's objection stems from the belief、uh, in the moon's sacredness,、uh, because for generations the moon has played a central role in their creation stories,、uh, religious ceremonies, and cultural identity. And placing human remains there, even from non-indigenous individuals, can be seen as an act of、um, disrespect and intrusion into their sacred space.、Um, so I think it is crucial to acknowledge these concerns and understand the deep cultural significance the moon holds for for many indigenous communities. But you know, proponents of space burials argue that、um, the moon offers a unique and eternal resting place for the deceased,、um, and these. They see it as a way to connect with the vastness of the universe and leave a lasting legacy beyond、mm. Earth.、Um, and it can also offer comfort to families seeking alternative burial options. So,、uh, how can we balance the desire for individual remembrance with the potential intrusion into a sacred space for others?、Um, I think it's definitely a complex issue with no easy answers. And furthermore, I think. The commercialization of space burials raises the question about、uh, accessibility and equity. Because who gets to choose this cosmic burial option? Will it be a privilege again for the wealthy, and, and does it exacerbate those existing so- societal inequalities? And by the way, the Peregrine mission wasn't the only one carrying human remains 
Also on board the same rocket was another payload that contains capsules uh, with remains and DNA samples from over 200 people, including former presidents and even cast members from the original Star Trek series. So this payload isn't going to the moon, but it will travel into deep space. So I think the, this also raises questions about who gets to decide what happens in space and what about the environment impact of sending these capsules into space. Um, I think there are a lot of factors to consider before we start treating space as a giant cemetery. Yeah, so there is really no clear answer to these questions you have raised. So on the other hand, do you think the, the kind of uh, setbacks experienced by this uh, peregrine lander, as well as the ongoing debate about, say, space burial, uh, will somehow end up discouraging future missions to the moon or, in general, space exploration? Uh, well, actually, I don't think so, because, I mean, we all know that landing on the moon is is de- definitely very challenging. Um, and, and just last year, we saw landers from Russia and private Japanese company slam into the moon, and also an Israeli nonprofit crashed in 2019. So I think uh, maybe these are messages to slow down a little bit, allowing time for thorough re-evaluation, safety checks, and technological advances to pave the way for some more robust and reliable missions in the long run. And um, the ethical debate that we just now mentioned, I hope it will lead to more informed and responsible policies for space exploration. But overall, I think the human desire to explore and push boundaries is strong, and I don't think these challenges will be enough to stop us from reaching the stars. Mm. So very, very briefly, looking ahead, how would you envision the role of private sector in shaping the future of space exploration? Well, I think uh, private companies are pivotal in shaping the future of space exploration by driving innovation efficiency and cost effectiveness. However, I think we need uh, clearer guidelines and regulations. And more importantly, I think we should ensure that the benefits of space exploration reach everyone, the entire humanity, not just the privileged few. And we must prevent space from becoming solely a playground for those super rich. Thank you very much for putting all these uh, different matters into perspective. That was my colleague, Zhao Ying. Unfortunately, that's all the time for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, download our podcast by searching World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on X at CGTN Radio. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.